the most ghoulish of greetings to every single one of you. Thank you so much for stopping by and making Paranormal Prowlers podcast part of your day. It's greatly appreciated. Now those tunes you just heard are of course courtesy of the lovely Bobby Mackey. And I'm of course your host, Tessa Mara. Today I have a very super special guest joining me. We go back a few years as he was on my radio show a couple of times, Barry Fitzgerald. You may know him from the popular TV show Ghost Hunters International. He is out of gorgeous Ireland, and this man truly is international. He has investigated so many locations on my bucket list, it's insane. From asylums, to castles, to forts and caves, to haunted towns, and so much more. Dracula's castle? Check. Frankenstein's castle? Check. Hellfire caves? Yup, done that too, and hundreds more. Various investigations have taken him to Poland, Scotland, Peru, Sweden, the Caribbean, and the list just keeps going on. He's a man of truly many talents. He's also an author, writing amazing books like Banshee, Modern Encounters with the Banshee, Legend Seekers, and so much more. I can keep going on and bragging about this guy, or I can just get him on here and you can hear all about these spooky things from Barry himself. Barry Fitzgerald, my friend, thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to the podcast. It's been a while. <laughs> it has indeed, uh, Tessa. Thanks very much for having me back on. It's great to see you again after all this time. And, I know. Uh, and considering what else has been going on in the planet, it's uh, it's great to see <laughs> it's great to see friendly faces again. It really is. I know. You know, who would have thought that in 20, well, now 2022 almost, but in these days where we have to quarantine and stay locked up and, you know, it's, oh, yeah, you're right. It's so great seeing friendly faces once again. (laughs) And and, and I have to say, the hassle, the hassle of quarantine, it's so so bad. I know. It's horrible. Yeah, I don't know how it is in your... (sighs) In your gorgeous part of the world, that being Ireland, but yeah, over here it's just cuckoo. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 bad for us um, because we're we're in the winter. You know, well, you guys are in the winter, of course, the northern hemisphere as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, at least at least in the dark months, you're able to throw yourself into research into the books and and get everything done that way. Um, because see, once those later months come back, boom. I'm out the door, and, yeah. and I'm back up onto the mountains and into the caves and everything else, so explorations are afoot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited to hear about some of those explorations and just jump right into it. Now, I know you've been on my radio show a couple times, and this is the first time on the podcast, so remember, mm-hmm. I remember the last time we really talked was back in 2017 in December, so I guess it's a good month. <laughs> <laughs> As it's December again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Barry, obviously, you know you're a you're a household name in a lot of houses. I mean, you know, you've been on Ghost Hunters International. You're an author. You're just a man of many, many talents. Tell me, at what age did you begin to become involved in the paranormal and supernatural? How did it all come about? Well, 
I've been involved in the research field now over 30 years, so three decades mm. and no sign of slowing down. <laughs> um, I think beginning, you know, I, I have to say that, that my father has to take some ownership of this, <laughs> um, whether he likes it or not. Um, I found that when, when we were growing up, the colour television had just arrived and, uh, and he, sit, he would sit us down in front of the TV to watch Doctor Who and, <laughs> and, uh, and, and Star Trek. And, and I, you know, I, I have a very, very inquisitive mind. How, why, when? And, uh, and of course, those days definitely supplanted that, that within me. But growing up in a haunted house as well, um, I think that had, had, had made one of those cornerstones. Now, at the time, I didn't know. I, I, I didn't know that it was haunted. Yeah. Um, and it was a, it was Christmas Eve mm. that that I got to see this entity climbing the stairs. And I, I have to say, I, I woke up out of a deep sleep as, as as a child, and I must have been I must have been around four or five years of age, and I woke up with this terrible thirst, and and I needed to go down. And everyone at that stage was in bed. Mm. The house the house was quiet. And whenever I say I had a terrible thirst, it wasn't for the black stuff. It was, uh, it was just for water. <laughs> I could see. That, that, thirst, that thirst developed much later. Um, but uh, but as, I, as I went to go down the stairs, that's when I saw the figure coming up the stairs. Now, because it was Christmas Eve, mm. I assumed with my childish mind, it's Santa. Right? I'm caught, <laughs> um, and, and and I run back into my bedroom and force myself to sleep, hiding underneath the covers. When I finally woke up in the morning, the toys were at the end of the bed, so I put two and two together. <laughs> but it wasn't years later; uh, it wasn't until years later that that um, I spoke to mum and dad about this particular incident, and they told me that the house had a reputation within the town. We we left. I think we were there for a couple of years, and and people people moved in after us. And the more people moved in, the quicker they moved out. And hmm. um, so the cycle time started to speed up. It was one of those things, you know. It, it's uh, growing up. You know, you have your encounter, and 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 then there were a few other things along the way that that helped solidify uh, my path. And right. but that was it. Yeah. Well, yeah, at such a tender age, you said you were around four or five years old. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of funny when you're saying like, you thought, oh, God, I'm busted. It's Santa Claus, you know, (laughs) I I have a quick, short, little funny story. My as kids, my mom, aka the Easter Bunny, (laughs) she she would always do these extravagant baskets with just like, you know, toys and candy and everything. Right. Well, one time, my middle sister, Jenna, she was coming down the stairs. I don't know if she had to go to the bathroom or what, but she happened to, like, catch the Easter Bunny. And she didn't see my mom, but my mom hid. But the next day, my mom hid her basket and put little pieces of carrot 
going towards to the basket, but um, she was crying and crying, and she finally found the basket. And even when she found the basket, she was still just beside herself. But I was like, you know, yeah, you don't want to mess with the Santa Claus or Easter Bunny or hey, no. even the Tooth Fairy. <laughs> That's for sure. That's for sure. But I'm still glad you got your presents, Barry. I'm glad. I did. I did. And funny enough, I remember them distinctly. Uh, really? So, what did you uh, get? It was it was an Action Man helicopter. Oh, nice. Um, and, uh, yeah, and it, you, you turned it with a key, and, and the propellers, uh, the rotors went around. It was oh, fantastic. That's... I wish I had another one now. Oh. Uh, but, uh... <laughs> hey, maybe you can find one on Amazon or eBay or something. <laughs> Yeah, those original toys, they're worth a fortune now. I wish yeah. I had, had known that at the time. But then again, you know, toys are meant to be played with. I was so, going to say, they're only I, a fortune if they're still in the box. And as a kid, that's yeah, just torture. I can't see. No, <laughs> no. Oh, my goodness. So, as I mentioned earlier, you were a lead investigator for the TV show Ghost Hunters International for a few years. Mm -hmm. What was it mm -hmm. like conducting investigations and being filmed, knowing that people from all over the world were watching you and your team's every move? I mean, is that something you actually get used to, just having all eyes on you? I have to say that at the time, it was it was the last thing that went through my head. Yeah. Because I was focused on, on what we were there to do. Right. Um, now, every, every episode took approximately two weeks to film. Mm. Uh, so there was a lot there was a lot of work being done not only by us but there's a huge amount of work being done by the crew yeah um, behind the scenes now our team consisted of 17 people oh wow uh, that was cast cast and crew yeah so you can imagine the expenditure that, that that you would go through flying from different countries hotels and transport and everything else never mind the problems that we faced with the equipment um you know, all of all of this was all was all taking place as as we were trying to to investigate as well. So, all of, you know, it it is physically physically it was very very tough on us, and because because we were away from our families for that long, um, you could see the effect that it was having, um, on some members of the cast, and and hence we started, um, seeing this this revolving door of cast. That was coming and going. Yeah. Um, because it was it was very very demanding to be away from your family that length of time. Never mind in another foreign country. Yeah. But the, the the crew were exceptional, I have to say, and and they came to us and and specifically they they would have asked me, Barry, do do you think there's going to be anything more out of this site or or is is that it? And and I would have given my opinion, and they would have listened to that. And, and yeah. I appreciated that greatly. Instead of flogging a dead a dead horse, right? Um, you know, during the day we we would have delivered the shots that they that they wished, and they told us what they were after and things like that. And we we done the driving shots and everything else. But come the night time, that's whenever they asked us, "What do you need us to do?" And and that that was a great and in fact it was a remarkably fantastic working relationship yeah. that, that we developed with, with the cast or the, the crew. And I appreciate them for, for doing that. It's a team thing, and it's good that they respect you guys enough to go through you and ask you your opinions and what have you, instead of just telling you this is the way it is, you know? Yeah, that, that can be very, very demanding. And, you know, the, the more pressures that come on to, to the new shows that are that are being developed, um, you know, you, you go in with an idea for, for a show and, uh, and by the time it, it, it's coming out, if it ever gets to come out, 
is is Frankenstein's beyond recognition. I know that that we we had pitched one. Um, myself, Paul, and Joe, we had, we had worked together on on one, and we filmed the uh, the pilot. But the initial plan for the show was exceptionally engrossed within the field of of ufology, of crypto, of paranormal, mm. and and yes, it was it was heavily influenced by by travel and things like that. But the travel was being influenced by the cases. So we were going after real cases of, for instance, missing people and, and things mm. like that, yeah. um, that were connected with very strange and bizarre incidents. Right. But um, we had worked on this list of, of developing new technology and everything else to help us with this. Um, and we had, our, we, we had our encounters, bizarre encounters, uh, while we were filming. And then by the time it was coming out, by the time we got to see it, it was just something we just didn't recognize. Right. And my heart sank when, whenever I saw that, that this is, they don't, I don't think that they understand what we were wanting to do with this. Right. Um, and I don't think we could have been any clearer within the pitch. Yeah. Uh, but it is what it is. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we decided uh, let's not. And, uh, and that was that. Yeah. You said you guys, like, had some bizarre encounters and what have you, obviously. But are there some that you guys experienced that we, the viewer, did not get to see? Oh, my goodness, yes. Ooh, yes. Can you tell us a couple? There was, there, was a lot, there was a lot of the time when the cameras were switched off that, uh, that things would happen. I can remember uh, we went to a, it was a hotel in uh, Brazil. And the hotel itself had it had the old style elevator, you know, from from the early nineteen hundreds. You oh, put okay. it over the, the wire cage and, and up you went, and you were in control of the the lever. Yeah. And uh, it was it, it was it was a f- wonderful wonderful um, little piece of nostalgia to to roll back and forward in. Yeah. Um, now apparently it was easily broken, um, but thankfully I wasn't um, I wasn't that that gruesome with it. And uh, it, it worked all the time, but there were symbols on the elevator door. When the elevator doors closed, when you pulled them over, there were two symbols on it. And I remember noting the symbols. I can I can see them in my head yet. I'm thinking to myself, this is this is old European mythology, I suspect. And we were we were asked uh, to. Uh, to do an investigation before the cameras rolled out the following night. We said, okay, that was unusual in itself, but we said, okay, we will do this. And the owner, the original owners of the hotel were German. And uh, we went through this EVP session and I can I, I could remember during the EVP session, I said, uh, I, I referred to that particular, my suspicion, I, I, I directed a question to what I suspected was 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 in the hotel because of the symbolism on the elevator. And and I said, How are you known in all Europe? And it just came back with one word, vampire. And that was the symbolism on the elevator. Wow. And it was a class it was a class A. Now this thing, this thing was attacking people as they as they slept in the rooms. And things oh, like that. So, but that that we couldn't introduce. 
because it wasn't filmed. Oh, um, oh there, there was there was hell to pay for that the following day. Um, why I were bet. we doing this? And, and because we were told to do this. Um, so it, there was there was mixed signals going back and forward, and we got the blame of it, of course. Uh. Um, but it was I was I was thrilled that the my instinct to the symbolism, um, paid paid fruit. In, in the end, during the EVP session, you get that class A response, and uh, yeah, and, and and following that, you know, there's the other items of things that that occurred. Um, we we ended up filming in a castle where, um, the old uh, Nosferatu, the film back in the nineteen nineteen twenties, I think it was, that, that was filmed there, and it was a it was a castle over three tiers, uh, not only in in building style um, and generations. But but also in its hauntings, there was three different styles. Oh wow! And and I have to say that that the top building, the one that sat right on the very top of the of this sheer cliff edge, mm-hmm. uh, that was the worst. I, I have to say, and and even even my cameraman who went back the following night to film, he was on his own, and and he was filming. And the lights started flicking back and forward, and he's on the radio backing into a corner saying, "Who's messing with the lights?" And there was there was no one was was messing with the lights. Yeah. Um, so there's a whole range of things that were happening, not only to to the crew, uh, but also to the cast behind the scenes. Right. And one example, in in fact, I have to say on on that aspect, on that topic of Nosferatu, leads <laughs> us neatly into uh, Vlad Tapish, um, a.k.a. Dracula. <laughs> and this this particular castle of his that we investigated um, called Venari, it's, it's down uh, just on the border of Wallachia, which is just south of Transylvania. Transylvania is a beautiful, beautiful place. Oh. It has a reputation. It, mm. has, it has a vibe with it of superstition. And, and when you're there on the ground, you get that and you understand this place has earned this badge. Right. Um, so we, we ended up, uh, we had to climb the, the stairs, uh, the uh, steps, uh, to get up to the castle. It's 1,462. Oh, my God. And multiple times we had to do this. Oh and uh, we had to bring up the equipment and everything else um, in 30-degree heat and almost 100% humidity. Oh my God! So it was nasty, but Vlad himself, you know, just to give a background on on, on Vlad, and Vlad Vlad took over from his father, and uh, his father was known as Vlad Dracul, which there are two translations. It's either son of the dragon or son of the devil. Mm. Eh, pick your pick. Pick your pick. <laughs> his his gripe was was the fight with the Turkish Empire, the, the Sultan, um, and the Ottoman Empire making its way into his lands. Yeah. So there was there was a thing that happened. Vlad's, Vlad's father um, lost the fight. He had to promise one of his sons, in fact, two of his sons now, um, as guarantee that there would be peace. So both Dracula and his brother, Radu, ended up having to go to Constantinople. And that's where they were held for a series of years before Vlad was was released. And it was released or he escaped. I can't remember. It was one or the other. But he made his way back to to Wallachia, um, where he claimed his his uh, rightful throne. 
And, you know, Vlad is, is infamous with this aspect of, of uh, impalement, where, where a trunk, a stem of wood is, is finally, finally sharpened to a point and um, greased, and then uh, your, your subject is then stripped and the, the pole is put up the rectum and slowly they slide down the pole before it eventually pierces the neck. Oh, so it's an it's a very very cruel and slow way to die. Right. And Vlad, Vlad, of course, was infamous for this. And in fact, th there were forests. There were there were there were some documentation that lists forests of impalement. He just took the Turkish army and just impaled them on it. So it, you know wow. that in itself visually would frighten any invading army. Right. But it should be noted that Vlad, yes, he learned his style of impalement from the Turks um, and from the Ottoman Empire, but they learned it from the Germans. Um, so we can't point the finger at, at them alone for that style of cruelty. And, uh, you know, seeing that, again, that, that style of cruelty that came out of, of Europe during the witch trials of the Spanish Inquisition, it was, it was just hideous absolutely hideous what was what was being done by the time the inquisition went through many villages there wasn't a female left alive oh. it, 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 the mentality of it just it, it, it I, I just can't get my head yeah. around the mindset of people that were doing that um, but anyway back back to vlad and um, vlad had this uh, uh, castle which was which was on the border uh, Panari, and his grandfather initially had that place built and it fell into ruin and Vlad then took a lot of the uh, the, the German Saxons who were turning on him um, he marched them up and made them rebuild the place and uh, then when they were finished he had them executed the ones that survived were finally executed so there was no one really left alive wow and a very horrific time for them, I'm sure, but not without, let's say that they had done some things that, does anyone deserve that? But, um, you know, they, they had done some things that, that brought this upon themselves. Yeah. So they just weren't completely innocent. Let's just leave it at that. And, and the, the place was built. Now, it was surrounded, and Vlad made his escape um, in some alleged secret tunnel, which I never found. And uh, he escaped into the mountains and was gone. And the place fell into wreck and ruin. And then an earthquake took some of it down into the into the uh, the, the the river below the bottom of the cliff. Oh wow! So that that is the, that is the the official history of of the castle. So we were we were heading up there to uh, to see if we could have a um, a parley with with Vlad himself with uh, old Dracula and I have to say the night before something strange happened mm. and this, this this happens from time to time again these are things that happen when the cameras are switched off and I had this I suppose you could call it a dream slash vision mm. um, it was it was this woman who was in the back of two lions they were on leashes strangely enough and the lions were vicious, and she was she was directing this 
absolute hatred toward me to mm. stay away, to stay away from Panarin. Hmm. And I thought, what's, what on earth is that about? And, you know, I woke up in a sweat and thought, what, what is, what's going on here? And then the next, that particular morning, off we went and uh, we went to, went to Panarin. Now, during our entire time at Vlad's Castle, we got nothing. Now, we really? tried everything. We tried, we, we pulled out all the stops. Let's see if we can reach Vlad. Nothing. Hmm. Not, and forgive my, my crudeness, not even so much as a mouse's fart was <laughs> caught on EVP. Wow. Um, and uh, it was it was very, very bizarre. Now, bear in mind the dream that I had the night before. I redirected my question on EVP to her. Yeah. And I said, are you here? Can you hear me? Now, of course, the people in L.A. have no idea what the hell was going on. They right. didn't know. That was completely out of context for them because they weren't privy to the, the vision dream that, that happened earlier. Yeah. We got, we got one clear response. And it was a woman's voice who said, leave now. Oh, my God. Wow. Now, I oh. don't know. At that time, I had no idea who she was. Um, I didn't know what she wanted me away from the place for. Why she didn't want us praying around, I have no idea. Um, but it was it was years, and I mean, you know, a decade later, that that I find out that that particular woman um, is a representation of Ishtar. She is a Babylonian goddess of war and fertility. Now, the thing is, she's three and a half thousand years before Vlad Dracula. Wow. Yeah. So how how is a Babylonian goddess, why is a Babylonian goddess at Vlad's castle? And coming to you in your dream. And coming to me in my yeah. dream to stay away. Right. Stay away. Don't come near this place. Wow. Um, so that was that was that was very, very bizarre. You know now I, I, I am well aware that, that there is a civilization that did develop in Transylvania at the time they were called, I think they were called Dacians. And they would have been there um, in the area, um, certainly around that time period of 3,500 BC. Hmm. And they were very well developed. They had hilltop fortresses and things like that. So I'm wondering, I'm wondering if it's possible that communication between the two, the, the, the two groupings of people may have brought through this worship to that area in which that place was formerly a Dacian fortress. Oh, yeah. Um, that's the only thing that I can make, that's the only way I can make sense of that because right. the idea of a Babylonian goddess being at Dracula's castle made no sense whatsoever outside of that. Yeah. That's, that's yeah, wild. I'm getting very thirsty. <laughs> I know. I see you with that that beverage. I feel like I'm slacking. I feel like I should get something. <laughs> if you look behind me, so guys, we're on video chat. I have a nice selection over here, but I'm just like, I sh I'm like, why didn't I get my beverage ready? <laughs> I'm thirsty too. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, so it, yeah. it was it was a, a very unique experience. Um, and, yeah. uh, and of course, lead, leading on from that, you know, I, I have ended up having 
some more encounters with as, as the, the research has gone on. Um, and I have moved on a lot in, in my own research. I've certainly come face to face with a lot of these old deities and they can be exceptionally belligerent. Um, yeah. And uh, and very powerful, I have to say. You know, in, in 30 years of, of researching the paranormal, I've had more experiences in five years of legend seekers, which gets me back into the land and back into the deities and God and gods here. I've had more experiences, more extreme experiences doing that than I've had in 30 years of paranormal research. Oh, wow. That's incredible. Very, very extreme. Yeah. Just so many different things. Just listening to all the, you know, it's like, okay, this legend, I'm like going after it. I'm actually getting evidence from it, not just like reading mm-hmm. it around a campfire mm-hmm. or what have mm-hmm. you. And mm-hmm. just uh, very, very interesting, bizarre stuff for sure. It's, you know, I, I, was in, I was in a forest um, not so long ago with, with a friend of mine from England who's, who's also a researcher. And he came across um, for, for, for a week or so and off we went uh, on our big adventure <laughs> and uh, we ended up in this forest uh, and, and the forest itself when you go into it it feels it feels different and mm. um, the only way I can describe it is that it feels out of sync it just doesn't feel right than what's outside on the road it's different yeah and almost you get the sense prehistoric almost in a bizarre sense um, now this is a place where where the Celts would have gone and worshipped these gods of harvest, and it was also a place that was known to have a cliff, the cliff of the demons. Oh, and so we we headed there. The reason that we went there is because there was a, a guy back in nineteen ninety six. He was abducted from the site, um, and uh, and disappeared for four days. Now, when I say abducted, I mean abducted in the truest sense in regards to ufology. And uh, he reappeared in the middle of the search party four days later, and uh, with mm. his dog. And wow. He, he went on to describe what had happened, and of course the newspapers got the hold of it and absolutely destroyed his life. Uh, um, so I'm not going to go into names or anything. Yeah. But yeah. We ended up we, we went to the site and, and I was doing a short interview with, with my friend when suddenly this bizarre noise started coming from the forest. And I ha- I generally have a good sense of direction in regards to hearing. Uh, and in what I'm hearing, I might add. But I found it bizarre that my friend, who was standing immediately opposite, was pointing in the opposite direction and saying something completely different about what he was hearing. And I thought, wait, how, how can that be? That's exceptionally clear. But to me, I was hearing growling. Um, and he was hearing what sounded like a large cat. And I said, but we don't. We shouldn't have either of those things really in, in this forest in Ireland. Yeah. And the audio recorder was running. And when I went back over the audio recorder, lo and behold, it was the same phenomenon that's reported in the Sierra Nevadas in Bigfoot country. Hmm. And I'm going, wait a minute. Um, you know, we've got a place here which is also infamous for not only the Fae, UFOs, um, cryptids. Now we've got we've got this element coming into it, and it really it really forced us to go back. I, I came back and spoke to some of the other guys in England as well about this particular phenomena. In that uh, initially 
when we were investigating the UFOs, we could see that that if 10 people were together, 10 people would have seen something completely different. And, and because it, it links in with us on a conscious level. Yeah. And a lot of the times they do not like cameras because the cameras show what's really there. Now, the same was happening to us, we theorize, with the audio, in that we were hearing something completely different from complete different directions, but the audio picked up what was really there. Wow. Yeah. So the illusion, the illusion can't be interfered with via technology. Right. So it, 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 was, it was very, very bizarre, very bizarre. But anyway, that's life in Ireland. How about America? <laughs> I tell you, yeah, Forever Ireland has been on my list of places to go. I mean, you guys just have so much going on over there, so much history, so many gorgeous, beautiful castles, and and just... Uh, castles, yeah. castles. We can throw a stone and we can hit a castle. <laughs> I know, I know. Speaking of Ireland, I mean, it's just amazing that all these places that you've been to, not only with the show, but just in general, just you yourself, mm-hmm. among all these locations that you've investigated, what was your favorite location and why, if there is a favorite? <laughs> um, I think there were several, several favorites. And uh, I, I particularly liked uh, Nicaragua, and because I, I ended up going back there with the camera crew, uh, they they were filming at night, and I ended up going back on my own with them, and I was left to my own devices in this huge forest, with these huge step pyramids throughout the jungle, hmm. and. I climbed, I ended up climbing on top, I'm afraid of heights, by the way, but I ended up climbing on all fours up the steps to get to the top of the step pyramid. And as I got to the top, the moon was just coming over the top of the canopy, the far of the jungle canopy. Wow. And I lay back and looked at the stars, just as they would have done, and thought, wow, this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Uh, that made its impact on me. And, uh, you know, th- there were other times there down in, in Costa Rica where uh, we were investigating and I got to see the uh, this algae, um, this strange algae bloom that, that fluoresce, goes fluorescence. It glows at night. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I thoroughly, thoroughly was mesmerized by that. It was like magic. Yeah. Um, and uh, thrilled by that, and, and a horseback riding in uh, in Argentina. Oh wow! So th- those those things, you know, are are, are things that, that that left an imprint in me. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it. And um, after, you know, when when the show had drawn to an end for for season three, I ended up going down to Singapore because I, I wanted to to make arrangements. Um, to see if we could uh, set up a new line of investigating mm. for the team um, in Hong Kong. Oh, wow. So we were going to split the team, and uh, part of them were going to go to the, uh, the suicide uh, caves in, on one of the islands in Hong Kong, while the other part of the team were going diving on the shipwrecks in the harbour um, from World War Two, And 
I was absolutely mesmerized by this. I thought this is going to be absolutely amazing. And, and yeah. I had also got uh, a lead on a, a fortress at the end of the Great Wall of China, which is which is haunted as well. Well, rather the sands around the fortress are haunted. They, these whispers of voices lead people up into the sands, and they just vanish. They they never return. Wow. So you know these. If we were going to go to season four, we were really starting to push the boat out and break that format, that cookie cutter format, um, and test physically, test the uh, the strength of, of not only the crew but of course the cast. Uh, so we we were we were really going to step up now for for the next one, but it just didn't happen. And, yeah, uh, life goes on. Yeah, that's a shame it didn't keep going. It seems like you guys weren't ready to ended and you still had a lot of sorry my cat go get out of here um she's like meowing surrounding me um she wanted more too <laughs> um so it's just a shame that you know you guys had so many more good ideas and locations all set up and what have you mm-hmm. and so but so you were afraid of heights and you climbed up 14 over 1400 stairs <laughs> I would have been on Um, all fours. (laughs) (laughs) So speaking of like, you know, locations and what have you and trying to, you know, pitch another season, were there locations that you guys wanted to do that you pitched to like whoever was in charge of making, you know, seeing where you guys went, would you say, Hey, we want to do Frankenstein's castle. Can we do that please? Or whatever. And mm-hmm. so would you mm-hmm. guys like throw ideas their way and they would, you know, Oh yeah. They, they yeah. would look into it. Yeah. And, and see the yeah. viability of it. Um, because, you know, although we would like to do and investigate some places, of course, the owners of those places sometimes don't want that type of attention. Yeah. So we have to respect that as well, you know, and uh, it was, a, it was a balancing act. Um, right. But it it became problematic because it started it really started this commercialization of locations. Yeah. And and that in itself, although it was it was making the idea of paranormal research mainstream, um, it was also creating a stick to break the investigators back because when the investigators, the new investigators who were watching the shows or who were being inspired to go out and do their own research, it ended up that someone was standing with their hand out expecting dollars across their palm for the hire of their place and, and everything else. So it, it, yeah. it, it, it had, a, it had a, a negative effect as well. Um, right. and, and of course, then there were also effects as well with, with not understanding the phenomena completely either um, instead instead of doing a little bit of research some people just headed out the door and thought let's do this and uh, and, and and ended up in some trouble right spiritual trouble i should say oh geez yeah that could be the worst <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so barry you know you i believe you and i have talked a while back about my attachment from tombstone have you yourself, I'm sure, you know, you've been doing this for decades. Have you yourself brought something home with you that maybe shouldn't have came along? You know, have an attachment or possession or anything oh, like that? Of course, just last week. In fact, I removed one um, mm. that uh, sneakily, sneakily attached. Um, and they, they can be sneaky. 
you know, um, some of them are, are <laughs> a bit like blunt force trauma. Yeah. Um, but uh, some of them, some of them can be subtle, um, and can take time and work um their way um in through your your defence. And uh, that was that was one of them. Um, one of the uh, key signs for me is is when there is an attachment there, it, it seems to target the the heart first um, and causes um, irregular heartbeats. So once I spot that, then yeah. Now before, of course, there were aspects of uh, you you will see this uh, maybe a, a targeting of temper and things like that may may start to to show its 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 face. Um, if you're if you're working in the garage or something like that, something mundane yeah. triggers it off, you know, which usually it wouldn't. Um, things like that, okay, I'll watch that, and then whenever the heart started to uh, to go into the regular beat, that's when okay, okay, you're getting no further than that, and and it's taken away and, and sent off, and then immediately the heart goes back to a regular beat, and that's it. So right. It's fine. I know it's gone. Um, but there are there are triggers that that we need to watch for we need to understand and uh, and be very very careful of um it's uh, you know there was a whenever i wrote the influence all those years ago which looked at um, at the, this aspect of energies within the paranormal that that possibly didn't have our, our best interests at heart i was i was told then don't become too bright where they see you and I've lived by that. And, you know, there, there was an EVP session that was done. Um, it was based in California, but it went around the world. And the same question was being asked time and time and time again uh, to understand what, how the spirits actually seen us. Um, and I, I possibly used the wrong term spirit. I, I shouldn't maybe use that. But um, the entity, how the entity saw us and, uh, and it kept coming back as light. Uh, you know that started to make a lot of sense considering the warning that I was given whenever I read, whenever I started writing the book um, about the influence and about how it can affect us on a biological level. Right. Wow. Yeah. So speaking of books, we're going to be talking about your some of your books here in just short while. One of them I know is about the banshee, and that's one of the things that whenever we talk. I always love hearing about your experience and encounters with the Banshee because we we got disconnected, so maybe she doesn't want us to talk about her. <laughs> I was going to say, one of the um, books that you wrote about was the Banshee, and that I every time we talk, I love hearing you talk about Banshee because, I mean... Me, I always thought if you hear the scream, that means that either you're going to die or somebody you know is going to die. And you've actually experienced the, you know, the scream of the banshee. So I would yeah. love for you to retell that story because it's just so phenomenal to me. Well, the scream of the banshee, um, it's, it's, it's impossible to try and describe it. The reasons for that is because we don't have anything in our language to describe it. We do. We have no comparison. Yeah. Um, but when when you do hear the scream, it immediately kickstarts your fight or flight. Adrenaline starts being released. Your body starts getting ready to fight or stand its ground. The scream itself 
it launches the body into this situation where she's relaying you have to pay attention. Yeah. That death is coming. Not death to the people that hear it, it's death to the person that doesn't hear it. Usually a neighbor or family member. The Banshee, I, I found, got a bad rap, um, and I felt that it was wrong to do that. And, uh, you know, in, in reflection, she she announces death. She doesn't bring death. But you have to understand the Banshee about where she comes from and her kin, where they come from. And that, that ultimately lies within the beds of rocks, within stone. Um, they utilize the stone and harmonics um, and, and things like that to come through to here. Banshee means woman of the mounds, stone mounds that are Neolithic in construction. Right? They were built before the Great Pyramids of Giza here in the west coast of Ireland. So when, when you've got that um, understanding and, and understand that these things have been coming through for eons of time, onto this landscape, um, you start to understand the phenomenon a lot better. When we start talking about fairies and things like that, um, there is there is two distinct fields. There is there is the Victorian revivalism of what we believe a fairy should be, the, the Disney-esque version, and then there's the real version. And, you know, we leave the Disney-esque version neatly um, in Florida. And, and we, we have to deal with the real version here on the island. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that, that in itself can be problematic. Now, when, when you, you've got things such as the, the English, they would have a version known as goblin, um, a little tiny grotesque little creature that, uh, that goes about and does its thing. Goblin is derived from uh, French, from old French, from the, the, the word gobelin. Um, and that is derived from Kuh within old German, Germanic terminology. Now, Kuh in itself means hole in stone. Mm. So again, all the way back, we find this connection to the stone. Right. Um, and, uh, and, and the fact that they're utilizing the stone to come through. And, you know, it's, it's interesting in today's research field that uh, David Politis, the, uh, the researcher for Missing 411, he has done a huge amount of work of people who have gone missing in the national parks within the U.S. and things like that mm. under extremely bizarre circumstances. Yeah. And he's on record as saying that the majority of people that go missing go missing in boulder fields. Hmm. So it really does make you wonder, you know, what's what's going on? What is happening to these people? Who is taking them? Right. Um, so and you refer back then to the old mythology and the folklore and you start to see you don't have to look too far before you start coming on to similarities yeah. between them all. And I'm, I'm not saying the fairies are, are taking people. <laughs> um, I'm saying that our identity of these entities needs updating. We need to we need to track them back through history. Well, I've tracked them back through history. The, the next book does that wonderfully. And... Uh, right back into, into the, the Middle East and, and prehistory. And uh, we find that we, we have this these, these entities that do the same thing all the way back through time. We just call them differently. And when, when, you, when you trace them and try and gain knowledge of them via the name, you will get nowhere. 
that just seem to arrive. Yeah. Well, that's not the case. Their their appearance changes, their names change, um, and you have to stay on that particular uh, windmill um, of change and uh, and whatnot to track them back into the eons of time. Hmm. That kind of reminds me. You said like they change and they could like transform into different things. Um, have you ever heard of the Kushtaka? That's um, out of Alaska. But right. They were thinking that like the Kushtaka, it could change into a family member of yours, and they would like mm-hmm. kind of like you know lure you to your death, or they would make the sounds of a crying baby. So like, who wouldn't mm-hmm. try to find a crying mm-hmm. baby to help them? You know, yeah. and yeah. they would die. And um, or be eaten alive and turned into Kushtaka themselves, and so um, just really interesting stuff. They're talking about missing people, and like speaking of Alaska, the you know like all the disappearances in Nome, the Nome disappearances. Mm. That you've heard of that, right? All the no, all the disappearances oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. in Nome. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think a lot of that stemmed. Then a lot of that stemmed from the movie The Fourth Kind. Um, yeah, there was. I think that there was a lot that was mentioned there, but the, mm-hmm. the town I think that was involved, um, they said that no, this was not the case, and I think they they, they initiated a lawsuit against the makers of the movie. Um, oh, interesting. For, uh, false advertising, I think. Oh wow, yeah, I did not know that. Jeez, <laughs> but yeah, it's like you, you think like the world is full of like banshees and kushtakas and just all that. So when you heard the scream of the banshee so obviously you didn't die you're still here like you said like it's like not the people who hear it but the people who don't hear the scream or the well or whatever you want to call the you know blood curdling horrible sound that comes out of banshee so barry when this happened in a short time after did a neighbor of yours die or did somebody you know die really wow so she was coming to warn you the deaths occurred yeah Yeah. Uh, they occurred Wow. Um, so uh, it, it definitely it definitely did what it said in the tin. Yeah. And I have to say, the first time that that I I got to hear the uh, the scream, I was I was living in a, in an old converted church, mm. uh, an old Baptist church on the west coast of Ireland here, and it was the middle of the night, and she was outside the window. Oh God. Now I had just written the introduction to the book of the banshee and I went to bed and in the middle of in the middle of my sleep she she came and I woke and it terrified the bejesus out of me and yeah. I could still hear even you know wide awake I could still hear her um, but I understood uh, later that it was almost like a a rite of passage it was a it was a, a nod that uh, you were you were allowed to go ahead and, and write the book. That that was very powerful. Yeah. And I heard it several times since as well, of course. So. Wow. And every single time you hear her, somebody dies that you know of? There was, like... there, there was a death, yes. Wow. So it's almost kind of like, you know, it's this rare occurrence that not many people get to experience. So that in itself is cool, but it's also at the same time like, well, who's going to die now, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know... Um, there, there, are, there are different things that, that, that occur, but I think you know, a lot of people now on the island would say, well, well, we don't hear it. But that's because we, we hide 
on a dark night we hide behind our double glazed windows. We don't speak to neighbours when we come home. We just go straight into the house. We don't we don't commune as a community anymore. Yeah. Uh, we don't we don't knit. We don't tell stories. We don't we don't hear what's going on in the village and things like that. Um, and uh, we we rarely walk anywhere now. And and I have to say from my experiences that the legend seeking, getting back into the landscape has been a huge eye opener for me. Um, to do that and. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to this year because there are new plans afoot for this year and uh, and I'm expecting some bizarre experiences from that. Oh, that's cool. So exciting new adventures are coming up. Are you able to talk about any of those or are they kind of hush-hush at the moment? Um, they're hush-hush they're hush, hush for now. Okay. Um, there is a video project that I'm working on. Um, nice. And, uh, so hopefully, hopefully we'll have something in place pretty soon. Well, that just means we'll have to get you back on. So a mutual friend of ours, Claire, yes. and uh-huh. she shared with me a really cool encounter that you guys had. She was there with you, and I think she said your wife and dog and a bunch of other people. Mm-hmm. And it had to do with the Fae. Can you talk a little bit about yes. that? Yeah, um, we ended up going to a location that uh, that historically is is known for uh, for this type of activity, and and I've often found that when we make the effort to go to them, they will come to us, um, later on, either that evening or the following evening, mm. and that definitely was the case. Uh, we we ended up going up to the top of this this hill. The weather was terrible, I have to say. Mm. Um, it was it was it was really really hammering us on, on the way up. But when we got up there, there was this beautiful big rainbow mm. um, that was over our heads, and uh, and everything started to settle down. Yeah. And we headed off, and I, I took a group across um, north or sorry southwest, and uh, my wife stayed with a group near one of the passage chambers, the old Neolithic passage chambers. And I believe Claire was there. And while we were gone, and we were over the breast of the hill, uh, my wife didn't know which direction we, we had gone in, but she happened to look up with, uh, with another member of the team that was there from England. And they saw us um, over on the, uh, the uh, southeast side of the hill. Yeah. And they thought, oh, there they are. They must be on their way back. Meanwhile, we are over the brow of the hill, southwest, and we're hearing someone say my name very, very fast. And it almost bounced around the hill, wow. around the back of us. And that's <laughs> when we said we better go back in case it's there's a problem at, at the passage chamber and they're probably shouting for us. So that's when they saw us coming over the southwest. Okay. They looked back to the, to the, the southeast, and whoever was there was gone. That was the first time that they got to see, see them. Um, and they don't appear with little tiny wings and things like that. You know, they appear just like us. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that was a, a very poignant moment for them at that particular moment in time. We left shortly after that, but they came in the worst, that, that night was the worst night of the storm. I thought we were going to get blown off the side of a hill from the mm. tents. They, they moved exceptionally fast. Now, I, I have to say that there was something going on with their feet because when they moved past the tent, it was like their feet were back to front almost. And the way that they hit the ground 
but the speed at which they moved was phenomenal. Um, and I believe Claire's tent was hit and she was knocked over on top of her sister. Oh. It, it hit her pretty hard um, and made a point, we're here. Right. Um, yeah, so th- that particular weekend, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. Um, and, uh, you know, we shadows were being seen, the, the, the little tiny lights in the trees were being seen. And the lights themselves, they are just a simple distraction. That's just exactly what they do. They just distract us from what's going on behind us. Uh, so, so when we altered our perceptions and turned away from from the lights, that's whenever we were able to see the shadows moving behind, circling behind us. So, wow. it, it it is one of those things, you know. It was a fantastic, fantastic weekend. And uh, Claire went back and she 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 wrote up her experience within the uh, the newspaper back in Wales. And uh, I have a copy here on the shelf. Nice. And, uh, it, it was it was a great a great experience for her and yeah. her sister. Yeah. When she was talking to me about it, she just just the way she was talking so passionately and just like you about mm-hmm. these things, you know, it's what an exciting encounter and that you know that you were there and that you know she said that just the group themselves were amazing people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely a weekend to remember and. I have, I have to say that that, that particular evening, uh, the weather the weather was to turn again, and we were the, the second night, we we decided it wasn't safety wise it wasn't it wasn't good for us to go back up onto the hill. Yeah. So we ended up going down into the into the dip, and there was a like an old pantheon there, a stone pantheon, and we set up a fire there. Now it was at that time that we looked up because suddenly there was no wind. Hmm. And we looked up, and above us was stars. Meanwhile, all around the valley was getting blown to hell. Hmm. And we were able to light a fire in the middle of this place, look up at the stars, and have a chat. Wow. While the rest of the world was going to hell. Right. It was so bizarre, very bizarre. Um, wow. You know, the, the, the controlling aspect, whether they had controlling aspects of the weather or not, I don't know. But we certainly didn't get rained on, that's for sure. And I'm hmm. more disturbed by the wind. Geez, kind of reminds me of like a part of the movie in Krampus. Well, you know, there I know there's several movies in Krampus, but at the very end, when it shows like this huge storm, but all of a sudden it shows all the little globes and the people in their tiny little globes, and they're all peaceful and calm. Maybe you were in a little globe yeah. without even knowing it. <laughs> it it would it wouldn't surprise me, you know. I, yeah. I can remember one other location that I was visiting in the, in the north of the island. And I had the two dogs with me. And it was always a place that that I felt I shouldn't be at night. Mm. So I always obeyed that until one night I decided, right, that's it. I'm I'm going. Mm. And again, it was a a very, very bad night. A lot of wind, a lot of rain. Mm. Now, before I I entered the field, I had to climb a gate to enter the field that this particular place was in. It was an old ring fort. Uh, from around uh, 90 AD or something like that. But I suddenly, suddenly then I became aware of pipe tobacco, like pipe smoke. Mm. And I thought, wow, that's, that's, that's exceptionally strong. Now this wind was blowing a torrent and the road, the road was a good 400, 400 meters away. And I thought, now, if someone was out there in the road with a pipe, I wouldn't smell it here, not yeah, like that. Right. It was as if whatever it was was, was in the hedgerow um, having a pipe. 
um, and certainly, I, you know, I shrugged it off and thought, oh, and, and just went on with, with the dogs and stood in the middle of this place, this huge ring fort. Now, I got to say that uh, whenever we entered the ring fort, suddenly peace fell on us. And like with Claire, the sky opened, we saw the sky, the stars, hmm. and there wasn't, there wasn't a breeze. But one thing I did notice is that the two dogs suddenly sat down and backed up against my leg. They were afraid. Wow. And they were watching something that was walking around the edges of the ring fort that I couldn't see. Oh, wow. So oh. Uh, I, 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 made, I, you know, I stayed for a few moments and I, I, uh, I made my leave and uh, that was it. So I've never been back at night since. Yeah. You know, it is interesting how you could go somewhere and during the day and the atmosphere is different. It's lighter and brighter, obviously. But, you know, there's this one cemetery that I used to go to all the time in my hometown in Colorado. And it's, I'd been there dozens of times. It's in my book. I've investigated there, found amazing evidence, several EVPs. And I went one night and I've never, and I love investigating at night. There's some people who are just like, I don't do night investigations or I don't do day investigations. I don't care what time it is. I'll do it. But I've never been there at night and I went there and it was just like, it was weird and not like a spooky, this is exciting weird. It was just kind of like, I felt like I shouldn't be there. I, I felt like, like I was breaking into some old asylum and I was about to get busted or in trouble or something. And these, these three creepy guys ended up coming up to us and like basically chasing us off. And they weren't, they weren't police officers, but they were very authoritative and very like, very creepy, you know, and here I have like the expensive mm -hmm. ovulus in my hand and the recorder and all these things. I was like, are we about to be robbed? Like what's happening? And so, yeah, yeah it's yeah. like, and I haven't been back since even during the day. And that was a couple of years ago, but it is weird how you just like, don't, you know, like you said, your dogs knew something was happening and that, you know, they were intimidated and, and it takes a lot for a dog to be intimidated. You know, it's just kind of like, okay, there's something there that they can detect. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I have to say that uh, being away with GHI for for so long, every time I I come back, I always felt this pull to go back to the ring fort, and I just time just would not allow it. Yeah. Um, it was almost it, it it almost felt as if you were being summoned to attend the ring fort, and yeah. I thought, wow, that, that's that's bizarre, and um, but I ne I never got around to it until this one day that I made some time and I had arrived back from some other country. I don't know where it was, but I said, I'm going to the ring for it. And I walked down across the fields and I climbed the, the, uh, the last fence. And halfway across the field, suddenly I was approached. I couldn't see anyone, hmm. but I, I stopped because whatever it was, was directly in front of me. Oh, wow. And all I, all I can describe is the feeling of two arms wrapping around me. Mm. As if I was being welcomed. Oh wow! And it was it was a remarkable feeling. I have to say, a remarkable feeling. Yeah. And I wonder is this is this the entity that was summoning me to come back? It was strange, you know. Little things like that can happen all the time. Right. Oh, that's yeah, that's amazing. Kind of like an embrace, like a hug. Yeah. Like, you know. Yeah, very much, very much so. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's see again, it's crazy how. You know, the time before, it was weird. The atmosphere was weird. It was just, you know, 
something else was out there that was negative, possibly, and then this mm. time, just this very... Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that it, it, it's negative. Certainly from from my perspective, um, I think it was a case of I wasn't meant to be there at that time. Yeah. That's that's not that's not a time for us to be there. It is what it is. I'm just looking up. Uh, it's a it's a particular picture here while I, while I'm speaking to you. Yeah. Because of the the reference that was that was put onto it. Um, here we go, and it's very poignant for what we're uh, what we're talking about. It's it's a it's a it's a quote from J.R.R. Tolkien, mm. uh, the author of Lord of the Rings. It says. Pay heed to the tales of old wives. It may well be that they alone keep in memory what it was once needful for the wives to know. Ooh, I like that. And I thought, wow, that's that's exceptionally powerful. Yeah. And, uh, and, 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 and it really is. We, we do need more people to keep our, our folklore, our mythology, um, and we need to heed it as well. Yeah. And when we were little kids, my mom, she would have these little cassette tapes of, I believe it was Lord of the Rings and possibly The Hobbit. And she uh, always at the very beginning would go, these are the words by J.R.R. Tolkien. <laughs> I remember going to school just saying that. And I'm like, no, oh, that's a that's a good quote. I'm glad you found that mm. for us. Yeah. Mm. So yesterday we were talking a little and you shared with me a really sweet encounter. I was telling you about a book that I'm writing about animal spirits and what have you. Mm. And mm. yeah, you shared with me something very. Yeah. Max, Max was my four legged companion. Um, he was the one that kept me, kept me sane and guarded. I have to say when I was exploring the various different landscapes here on the island and mm. caves. He was very good at finding caves. Oh, nice. Um, and uh, so he, he went literally everywhere with me. Uh, he died this, this year. It was a huge, huge hole left in the, the, the center of the family. Yeah. But uh, just give me a second there. That just caught me unawares. Oh, I'm sorry. We don't need to talk about it if you don't. No, no, no. You're okay. You're, you're, okay. you're all right. Yeah, it's always hard um, to say goodbye to furry companions we've yeah. had to do that yeah. to several the last few years and we just lost our cat flake that we had for 18 years the year before last and i yeah. still think of her all the time it's you know they they leave these yeah. paw prints on our hearts that don't go away well they do yeah they do. They do. but uh yeah max max was uh he, he was buried at, at the bottom of the garden and we have decking down there as well so Within the first couple of nights, I, I found myself just straying down to the garden to see if he would possibly make an appearance. Silly as it sounds, you know, it's mm -hmm. uh, strange what grief can make you do. And nothing, nothing was was happening. The world was quiet and as it should be. Yeah. But I think it was the third night. I, I had asked, I, I would love to know if, if he was okay. And again, one of these strange vision, dream things came through that particular evening. I was looking at Max in a forest, perfect place for him. And he was sitting down on his, on his backside and staring at me 
thought he was about uh, maybe 30 feet away. I, I was so glad to see him um, in the dream and see that he was okay. And I went to go forward to him, but someone who was also in the dream, had this strange vision, put their arm, put their hand on my arm and said, no, don't. Now, my biggest regret at this point is that I didn't turn around to this person, <laughs> look them up and down and say, and who the hell are you? <laughs> right. <laughs> but I didn't. But they said, you, you, can't, you can't go near him like this mm. because he's shedding. And I thought, shedding? Well, yes, he, he shed pretty bad. That coat of his was always a nightmare for us. <laughs> um, and uh, they said, no, he's shedding his life. Mm. They said, he's in the process of shedding his life. He is half the animal that you once knew. Mm. And when I looked at his eyes, I could see, I, I understood at that point what he meant, what this person was telling me. Yeah. Said, okay. And they said, if you're to interfere after this, he can become an attachment. And that in itself becomes detrimental to us. Right. Because we have to let go. In fact, they actually used the word vampire, which I was highly offended about. Yeah. What do you mean? Because vampire, of course, within the West, we think of Bela Lugosi and things like that. But that's not what he meant. He meant vampiric energy attachment. Yeah. That it would it would drain you, um, and it's not it's not his fault. Right. It's because we can't let go. We're the ones that need that connection. Yeah. Um, he's already gone through the process in which he's he's letting go. So uh, it, it was a it was a, a, an amazing insight and really got me thinking about uh, about our our approach, I suppose, somewhat to death. And it is okay to remember. You know, I, I have pictures around everywhere of the house of him, but I didn't make an altar for him. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, he. he that in itself, um, if, if anything, that particular vision or dream taught me was to, it's okay to remember, not, not to go any further than that, which, of course, in itself would end up creating problems in the long run for me and my family. Right. Well, and it's interesting because, again, coming back to the person, like, who told you this, you know, like, mm. who was that yeah. voice? And it obviously isn't somebody that sounded familiar to you or maybe I don't know that but that's so interesting when you told me that and so yeah I, I, I don't go into I, I don't go down the path of guardian angels and things like that mm -hmm. because I see them as being something different and again when when I delve into the history books then we get a different picture of what these are so I, I don't I don't go down that particular path however I have you know I, I found myself lately reading manuscripts and things they got from from Egypt and, and, and other places over this lockdown, in which they mention a place called Eagle, or we would call it today, Eagle, mm -hmm. uh, but it's it's pronounced Eagle, and which is a house on top of a mountain where the gods sit. Mm. And and it was it was while while writing the book The Influence that I was, that I, one of those particular experiences in which I had that warning, don't become too bright or they see you. I was standing in that house, Egal, 
when I was when the, the, that message was being delivered, and it was what fifteen years later that I find out this place is a legend. I never knew this before. Yeah, um, and all the descriptions tied in with what I was seeing at that particular time. So you know, it is yeah. so bizarre how how the, the world of the paranormal can interweave through our lives. Sometimes for the good, sometimes for the bad. It is quite amazing to experience it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just, I'm always just so grateful for the paranormal and supernatural. I, you know, I'm always like, you like, what's the next adventure? <laughs> for me, it's like, which state am I going to be in? But for you, it's like, oh, what country am I? What am I going to go to today? <laughs> I, I don't think I don't think there'll be any tri- uh, any any countries in the near future. Anyway, I think I'll be staying pretty much uh, put in in Ireland somewhere in Ireland. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, well, because of COVID, just you know, we're in a COVID world where sometimes I think that we're stuck in like the twilight zone, you know, and. You know, it was really bad where everyone had to stay in, but now, like, things are lightening up over here where you're able to go places again and whatever. But over there, have you been able to still get out and go investigating, what have you, researching and all that? We, we, we can, um, but there are, there are, of course, more restrictions coming in now. Um, yeah. And England, England is going absolutely crazy. The press and in the, I, I'm, I'm having trouble trying to understand the press, hmm. especially with this new Omicron variant. Right. Um, you know, the, 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 certainly for Boris, the mad mad hair of Boris, he uh, he says that the, the variant is, is much more virulent. And it is. We, we see that, you know, from, from the South African uh, facts and figures. But no one in South Africa died from it. We know that it's 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 very easily passable to other people, but nobody's dying from it. Yeah. Um, but they're not expressing that on the news. So something something strange is going on. But anyway, that's for that's for someone else to argue at this stage. Um, I right. will stick primarily with the paranormal and leave false science to false scientists right that's all i'll say <laughs> <laughs> i know i know i hear you well yeah it's, i know there's like crazy restrictions right now over there i have family in italy and they wanted to come out for christmas and they can't mm-hmm. just because like no. you know they're closing they're, everything they're, they're, they're locked down now yeah, yeah they're and, and in france france has gone it's it's on the verge of civil war I was looking at videos there the other night, and and even the police officers are being beaten to the ground. Now, horrible. They were they were doing a lot of beating um, over the last 12, 12, 18 months. Yeah. Um, on the lead up to this, and now the people have said enough. Yeah. They're now starting to fight back, and to see what's happening in Austria and Germany, there's a tight fist coming down on people, um, and our freedoms are definitely disappearing in the wind. Right. Yeah. Well, that just means we need to disappear into caves and plantations. Cave. That's right. <laughs> All right, bye, guys. I'll let you do what you want to do. I'll be over here. Just give me my Guinness and I'll be over here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, geez. Hi, Buttercup. Oh, oh, come here. Hello, little cash. Meow. 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 Yeah. 
you just come up and want to start talking and meowing. It's very beautiful <laughs> face in that cat. Thank you. So, Barry, before we end this, uh, we'll have to have you back on, obviously, to talk about more future stuff when you're able to. But before we end this, you're working on a book right now, aren't you? Are you able to Are you able to talk a little bit about that or any of your other books? I have a, I have a new book uh, coming out. Um, uh, the publisher's releasing it in uh, March, and it's it's called uh, the deceptions of the deception of gods and men, mm. um, and that that looks at the identity. It, it strips away all of the uh, the, the masks. And looks at the identity of what is actually communicating with us, and why there is a high level, an exceptionally high level of deception when dealing with these entities. So yeah. that that strips everything away. It shows who is also communing with these entities and where. Uh, so that's exposed as well. So that that's going to be an exceptionally good read. But I have to say um, that one was written. It was done. The contracts were signed. It was sent off to the publisher. Um, the next one that I'm working on, The Fruit of the Gods. Mm. Oh my God, <laughs> that is phenomenal. That that one, that one is it, like that's almost writing itself. Um, I've got uh, wow. things off to the laboratory and getting tested and everything else at the moment. Um, exceptionally exciting because not only does it take me from this time period, but it also takes me back in in in, in time and location back to the Fertile Crescent in Babylon, and, uh, and, and we follow the story from there. Oh. Uh, phenomenal about what, what is happening today, and again, about how we're communicating with these things beyond the veil. Oh, well, I will keep an ear out, an eye out for that for sure. And so March 2022, got your book coming out. Yep. That's awesome, That's exciting. It. Very cool, Barry. Well, Thank you. Yeah, I just, uh, I appreciate you coming out and spending some time with me. Thank you very much. It was, it was a great pleasure, and I, I do look forward to the next time. Truly a fun guy. Always has so many amazing things to talk about. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Yes! Listen to the others, you guys. They are all pretty phenomenal. Haven't heard every single one yet? No need to cry, my friends. You can binge listen right now by heading on over to any of those podcast platforms, such as Spotify, CastBox, Podcast Republic, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you may roam to listen to your other phenomenally spooky podcasts. You'll probably find Paranormal Palace podcasts lurking in the background. This week's special city shoutouts go to Frick Township, New Jersey, Cape Town, South Africa. Careful for those great whites out there. Maidstone, Australia, Scottsburg, Indiana, and Mason, Ohio. Thank you, guys. It's always greatly appreciated wherever you are listening from. Throw an email my way at paraprowl at gmail.com if you want to be a voiceover in a future episode. If you have an idea about an episode topic, I would love to hear all about it. See you next week. And a big shout out again to Barry Fitzgerald for being on. See you next week.